But every week, as we're going through Proverbs, I like to offer some wisdom from the world. Uh, this is wisdom from Dwight Schrute. Particularly pertinent in today's political climate, where health care is a much debated issue. In the wild, there is no health care. In the wild, health care is, ow, I hurt my leg. I can't run. A lion eats me. I'm dead. Well, I'm not dead. I'm the lion. You're dead. So, take that and apply it to your life. Last week we talked about listening to words. This week we're going to talk about speaking, our own speech from Proverbs. And from Proverbs, again, if you read the book, it's kind of interesting to read. It's all over the place. And so what I did is I drew from all over Proverbs, and that's what we're doing for the rest of the semesters. We talk topically about some of the issues that Proverbs addresses. It speaks all over the place in different ways, in different manners, about speaking, about your lips, about your mouth. And so I drew from that. So I'm going to read these verses, and then we'll consider them all together. Proverbs 12:22. Lying lips are an abomination, abomination to the Lord. This is from Ephesians 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. This is Jesus from Matthew 12, 34. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. A wise man's heart guides his mouth. And lastly, this is a, a promise from God through the prophet Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, uh, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give to you a heart of flesh. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, the issue of speaking is hard to consider. It's hard to hear. Um, it's hard to change the way we speak. It's hard to even be honest with ourselves about the way we speak. So I pray now as we consider your word that you would be with us, your Holy Spirit would attend to us, would work deeply within our hearts. We would be opening, open to what you have to teach us, dear God. And if I say anything foolish, may it not be heard. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, in the book of Proverbs, there's a little over 900 verses, and one-sixth of them deal with speaking your mouth, with your lips, with words. Um, the reason being is words are deeply powerful. In some ways, actually in a lot of ways, the most powerful thing you wield in your life is your mouth. Um, the first thing we learn in Scripture, you open up Genesis. We meet God and we learn about the power of words, do we not? God speaks and when He speaks, creation happens out of nothing. He says, let there be light, and then there was light. We see the power of God's word right at the beginning of Genesis. The first fact established is that God's word is powerful. And when we see man-made in Genesis, we're told that God has made, has made man in his image. That means there are a lot of things like God that are like us, that are in us. We are similar to him in some ways. Because when it says we are made in his image, what that means are we are many self-portraits of God. And there's some similarities between us and God, one of which is our words are powerful. We can't speak creation into being out of nothing, but our words are powerful. All of your friendships began with words. 
All of your friendships that have ended, ended with words. Relationships are permanently altered by words. Families are started by words and families are ended by words. Wars are fought and wars are ended with words. With words, you can darken people's thinking, and with your words, you can enlighten people's thinking. With words, you can actually distort reality for other people, and with words, you can clarify reality for other people. Your words are the most powerful thing you actually have. That's why we're talking about it. The writer of Proverbs sees fit to spend one-sixth of the book talking about words. It's really more than that, actually. It's the most powerful thing we have to deal with. And so last week, we considered how to listen to words, what it meant to receive other people's words, because their words affect us deeply. And this week we're going to talk about what it looks like then for us to speak wisely. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to talk about first what it looks like to speak wisely and then begin to consider on a deeper level where our words come from and thus how can we change. But the first thing is kind of what we're looking for in terms of the practical advice. What are wise words? How do we speak well? And there's four things that we're going to draw out of the book and uh, out of Proverbs but also from other parts of Scripture Speaking well and speaking wisely, and let me say this too, I borrowed heavily from a good friend of mine named David Jones. Um, He's been very helpful for me to kind of organize my thoughts on this. And so I want to put that out there. I want to be wise with my words. Um, But wise words involve four things. It's much more than simply what you say. It is what you say, but it's way more than what you say. It's actually also how you say it. It's actually also when you speak and why you speak. Wisdom with regard to your speech is what you say, how you say it, when you say it, and why you say it. And we see all of that all throughout Scripture. And the first thing is about, it begins with what you say. And And the fundamental principle in Proverbs is Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination of the Lord. The first thing is being truthful, that what you say is the truth and not deception. To speak truth is to be wise. Lying is evil. Lying lips are an abomination from the Lord. Uh, Lying at its root is the opposite of who God is. It's the most destructive thing we do because what it does is we take reality as it is and we misrepresent it to other people. We misrepresent ourselves. We misrepresent other people. And all of a sudden, they're interacting with a caricature of reality and not reality itself. And it disintegrates everybody's understanding of everything. Deception, lying, not telling the truth, misleading, misinforming, just disintegrates everything. Proverbs twenty six twenty eight: a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. Deception works ruin inside of all of our relationships when it takes place. <clears throat> lying really, it, it destroys and it conceals reality. And in some ways, the reason that we do it is because we're all like Cypher in the Matrix, which is, the truth of the real world is really overwhelming, so we'll just take living in a false reality. And we'll actually choose to live in deception and hope other people will live in the deception we believe about ourselves and about them and everything. Because we can't handle the truth of reality, because the truth is hard a lot of times. And so we love living in our lives. And, and lying looks more simple. It, it, it's much more complex than just the simple overt lie. And religious people, what we're awesome at is obeying the letter of the law without obeying the spirit of the law. And one of the ways we do this with lying is we can actually figure out ways, we all know this and we've all done it, we can tell the truth and all along know that we're allowing this person to misunderstand and be misinformed about reality. We can tell the truth, and so we can pat ourselves in the back, I was a Christian and I told the truth and everything like that, and I obeyed the letter of the law. 
but all along you actually know the person you're talking to thinks a different way about what you just said because of the way you said it. Christians are great. Religious people are great at obeying the letter of the law, but in fact still being deceptive. Deception is just, it's just so much more complex than what we can understand. We can, there are a thousand different ways we're complex, and here's the lie we've all participated in in this room, I think. Maybe not, not everybody. Here's the greatest lie told in this culture. It, it takes two different forms. I just got your message, or I just got your text, right? Now, there are legitimate times, they're in a minority, like one out of ten times, where we write that, we actually mean it, we set our phone down, we didn't look at it for six hours and all that kind of stuff. But you see, we're actually all participating in lies all the time because we all identified with that immediately. I just got your text, I just got your message. We don't want to tell them the truth of, I didn't consider you important enough to respond to your message. That's the truth, which then would involve confession of sin, which is painful. I'm sorry, I did not respect you, will you forgive me? Nobody wants to enter into that conversation over a text message or a message, right? This feels really tedious. But we're all participating in that lie at all times, are we not? Um, when words aren't reliable, when our words between each other aren't reliable, relationships break down. That's how friendships disintegrate. When you can't trust somebody, when their words no longer, you're, when you no longer have the ability to trust their words, you're no longer relating as friends. You're either relating as a caricature of each other kind of a different version of you, your, your Miley Cyrus, right? Instead of, or your, sorry, your Hannah Montana instead of your Miley Cyrus. Um, but eventually you become aware that you can't trust each other. And at that point, you're not <coughs> friends anymore. Lying, uh, lying is the air we breathe. In this culture, and by this culture, I'm not saying, here's our little Christian selves in the world out there. Us, all of us. Lying's not only acceptable and deception is only acceptable, it's actually expected. We, you know, we can pick, it's easy to pick on politicians, athletes, husband winners from the past year, things like that. <laughs> I got it. I'm going to edit that out of the podcast. I was like, don't say it, Brent. Oh, it came out. There's unforgiveness in my heart and there's rage in my heart. I confess that to you. I'm still struggling with it. Um, but I think the NCAA men eventually do the right thing and take that away. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about tonight. But actually... My point being is, we would be utterly confused and wouldn't know how to react if public personas got accused of something and just said, yeah, I did that. And actually, here are three other things I did. We wouldn't know how to react. It's not that we just, it's not just the culture just accepts their lies. We actually expect it. We would be confused if they didn't lie. We would be confused if lying wasn't the de facto reaction to accusation in our own lives. If a teacher came to a student at USC and said, I think you borrowed this from something else. It would utterly confuse the teacher if the student actually said, you're exactly right, let me show you the website, let me show you the source that I use, I cheated on this assignment, what do I do? Do you know how confusing that would feel to a teacher? The teacher is expecting us to deny it, to make up excuses, to lie. Lying is not just acceptable, it's actually expected in this culture. It is the air we breathe at all times. I mean, again... The, um, the simple den- reaction of denial is the default reaction in every accusation that comes into our life. We're just going to lie about whatever we get accused of. In fact, lying so commonplace that we don't even recognize it anymore. I just got your text. I just got your message. None of us actually ever thought of that as a deception. I didn't think of it until actually I read a Twitter post earlier today, and a friend was remarking about how that's like the most common lie told today. But do you see lying is so commonplace you never thought 
I just got your text, I just got your message, was you being a liar? I was convicted. It's so commonplace, we don't even recognize it when we're doing it anymore. We swim in lies, and lies are the deception. It's, it's just the air that we breathe. And the reason we lie is not simply because we're being practical. That's one of the lies we tell ourselves so we don't feel guilty about it. We're just being pragmatic. We're just being practical. The reason that we lie is because we're full of fear. We fear the consequences of telling the truth more than we fear the Lord. We fear the consequences that can come into our lives for telling the truth more than we fear the Lord. And to begin to be someone of wise speech means that you become a truth teller. In telling the truth about the world, telling the truth about you, telling the truth to your friends about them, it's not always a warm fuzzy. It is a hard work, and at times it's difficult. And at first it can be wounding. And we talked last week about Proverbs 27.6, that faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. For better is open rebuke than hidden love. There is healing to be had in the truth, even when it wounds. And it's much better to be wounded by a faithful friend than it is to have the blissful, fun, ignorant lies of an enemy heaped upon you. We need to hear honesty, and we need to be people that give honest and truthful words to one another. But it's not just what you say. Called to tell the truth, that's what wise speaking looks like, even the consequences. Um, it's also how you say it. It's not merely the content, it's also your delivery. In Proverbs 15:1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. He's not talking about a difference in content. He's not saying saying something nice versus saying something mean. He's saying you can speak softly or you can speak harshly, and that affects the conversation. He's addressing the manner, not the content of what you're saying. A soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Ephesians 4.15, which we read earlier, is talking to the church, and he's saying when we become a community that speaks the truth in love... We're built up into Christ, into maturity. Speaking the truth in love is a cornerstone of fellowship and maturity. And the call, it's not just what you say, but it's also how you say it. Because the call to be honest in our speech is not a call to just bludgeon people with the truth. It's actually coupled with the call to speak kindly and to speak gently and to speak softly and lovingly. Because love actually pursues the other person's well-being with your speech. It doesn't bring the truth simply to brutalize somebody with your rightness. The way one of my seminary professors said this, said, any fool can find fault. That's not hard. Wisdom means that you move in and give help. In criticism, rebuke, honesty, just truthful speech that comes out of self-righteousness, it won't care about the healing of the person to whom it is speaking. But honesty that comes with love recognizes that you're actually now in this with them and you're for their well-being. You're not just bringing the truth, you're bringing love. There's two errors we fall into. The error, there, there's the truth people who are at the truth point and they're like, yeah, everybody needs to be telling the truth. I bring the truth, I drop truth bombs on people and I'm not afraid, Right? Okay, Brother Micah, if y'all aren't familiar with him, 
maybe he'll grace us with his presence this semester. He comes and preaches out at, uh, on Green Street. He will say some true things. He's going to say some lies. He's going to share a lot of lies. He will say some true things. And he will say it with no love. And it will be evil, even though he's speaking the truth. Because without love, what he's actually doing, and you'll, actually, you'll visibly see this happen, he's actually turning people away from the truth. He's telling them the truth and turning them off from it because it's truth without love, which means he's speaking the truth and it's evil when he's speaking the truth. He's pushing people further away from hearing the truth because they get so upset with his lack of love and they're justified. It's not just about telling the truth. You can tell the truth and be a very hurtful person and actually, and actually push people away from the truth. And on the other hand, it's not just about being nice. Because the other nice people were ready. They're like, oh, finally he said, speak the truth in love. We all need to be so sweet to each other and never say anything that's hard. That's the other error we fall into. We don't want to offend anybody. Just, we just want everybody to be kind. Love without truth is sentimentality, and it's actually patronizing, which C.S. Lewis says is the most egregious of all sins. It's patronizing because it's not love at all. Just being sweet to people and not not being willing to upset them with the truth. is not love at all. It's actually love of self because the reason that we do that is we don't actually care about them. We just want them to like us, which actually means you don't have love for them at all. What you really have is just love for yourself. Love without truth is not love. It's not love for the other person. It's love for you because love without truth is driven by this need to be liked. It's about you worrying about your needs and what you want and not caring about them at all. It's not love. But when we speak the truth with love, that means that you're not just there to glorify in your own opinion of things, but you enter into the conversation and you enter into the relationship for their own good. Proverbs 16.24, gracious words, kind words are like a honeycomb. They're sweetness to the soul and they're health to the body. It is both what you say and the manner with which you say it. We need to become people of love and truth. And one without the other is not helpful. But it's not just that. It's also when you say it. Proverbs 25.11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. This is the picture of a word spoken at the right time. He's drawing a picture of an artisan doing great work and doing intricate work and making it look beautiful. Crafting something beautiful. It's art at its best when you understand not merely what or how you speak, but also when the right time is to speak. Wisdom really is learning the art of being able to read a situation, see where people are, see what kind of words they respond to well, reading that situation and then speaking well into it. It's not merely that you speak the truth, but you understand um, when that truth is most suitable and how it's most suitably presented. In the wrong situation with the wrong types of words, you can actually drive people away from it. And what, To kind of give you a little bit of a more concrete picture, what that means is that you give care to where they are in life. The things that they're carrying at that time, the places in which they're succeeding, the things they're struggling with, they're just wrong times to actually bring truth into people's lives. They really are. Or, or at least certain amounts of truth, certain aspects of truth. Proverbs 27.14, is, this is interesting. Whoever blesses his neighbor, whoever blesses his neighbor, says something good, right? Blesses his neighbor, something positive. We should bless each other. 
Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. You hear what the text is saying? When you're actually saying something good to somebody at the wrong time, it's counted as cursing. There's a wrong time even to say good things. Early in the morning would be one of those. For y'all, that's like 10 o'clock, right? It's not 10 <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. Um, are you paying attention to where people are in their lives when you speak? That's the question. What's on their mind? Why speaking considers the situation at that time? And there are times when you have to withhold things you want to address. When people are pressed with other struggles and concerns that need care and attention. And it would actually only burden them to speak further. Elizabeth <coughs> told me a story the other day. We were talking about this specific thing. She helps me out on my sermons a lot. And I, she gave me permission to share this story about how old were you? Eight, nine, ten? Yeah. Junior high. Oh, junior high. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got hurt. In, what, what did she do? How did she injure her head? She fell off at like, one of those playground things that are elevated. Plane shake. Okay. Fell in the playground, and what happened? Had, like, serious head trauma, had to go to the emergency room. Things were questionable for a while. And this is, like, 12, 13-year-old Elizabeth, so we can grant her a little bit of grace. And she just didn't know what to say when she visited her in the hospital. So she's standing there over the bed of this girl with the dad. (laughs) And she said, this is one of those things. This is, you know, almost 20 years ago now, and it's one of those, like, ingrained memories you have in your mind. You're like, oh, man, I still can't get over how idiotic I was. And she just was standing there by the dad and said, man, you really almost lost her today, didn't you? <laughs> was it true? Yes. Did she say it at the right time? No. I have permission. I got permission, right? Yes, okay, okay. <laughs> But also, it's not just the right time. It's also understanding who they are. Speaking in a way that understands who they are. Proverbs 15.23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man. A word in season, how good it is. The Bible celebrates it when you can speak well into a situation, understanding and placing your words well. The word spoken just right for that person in the way that that person responds to in communication. In premarital counseling, one of the things we talk about, we actually spend a whole session on understanding that the other person responds to communication differently from you. That within your family and within your personality, you've learned to, you've learned to receive certain forms of communication, certain types of directness and, certain, and things like that, and respond to it favorably. And guess what? That's not how they respond to it. One of the things we spend a lot of time on in premarital counseling is learning that everybody doesn't need the same type of communication, and you have to adjust the way you communicate according to the personality. You have to consider how they hear. Last year in Greece, everybody who's going to Greece, y'all have to go now. You're locked in, so this is not a reason you can't go. Um, last year in Greece, I was, hadn't slept very much, and... Um, <laughs> I don't know who was there for this situation. I can't remember who all was there. There's just one in particular I remember, and I have permission from him to share his name. Um, I hadn't slept very much. I had never been to Greece. I'd never done a trip with MTW. There's just a lot of unknowns for me, and I'm trying to act like I know everything's going on, but trying to be really honest and say I don't know everything's going on, all that kind of stuff, but you kind of feel like you need to stand at the front of the line and march boldly wherever you're supposed to go, like you know what's happening. And um, so finally... 
some students, one in particular, Andrew Barber, gave me permission to share his name, uh, were griping about some aspects of the trip. And I did drop, like, a thermonuclear truth bomb on them. I mean, like, it was, there was, like, there was fallout, there was collateral damage. Like, I just brought the heat. I exploded. And it was all truth. And Andrew Barber, I wish he was here tonight. I talked to him beforehand. He would agree. He would say, everything Britain said was absolutely true. And the way I said it was horrible. <laughs> it was terrible. And it took him, he, I said, every word I said, I stand behind. And Andrew Barber would say, you should stand behind. But the way I said it was horrible. My attitude was terrible. I didn't consider who Andrew was and how he receives things. Because the way I said it was definitely not the way he was seeing things. <laughs> Wise words fit the occasion in the person. It's not just what you say or how you say it. It's also when you say it. Beginning to think about fitting the occasion in the person. And lastly, it's this. It's also why you say it. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as, good, as, as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The purpose of your ability to speak is not to defend your cause. It is not to defend your point. It's not to defend our ego or our name or our agenda or our rightness. It is not to destroy our enemy or our opponent or the object of our pain. The purpose of our words is to build people up to speak redemptively into people's lives and not destructively, not leading them into deception, not brutalizing them with the truth, not foolishly speaking in a way or at a time that's needlessly painful. Your words are for the godly benefit of others. Now, this doesn't mean that all, serious, all language has to be this really serious spiritual conversation all the time. That's not what it means. Today, Randall Stewart and I sat down and talked for 30 minutes, and it was fun, and it was a blast, and we talked about college football and recruiting, and we laughed. And it was godly language. It was sweet. God loves good friends enjoying good conversation together. It doesn't mean that every conversation has to be, have an intense spiritual component to it. Because there is something healing and redemptive about good friends enjoying something together and laughing about it. And that's good. But what we are saying is that language is powerful and it is for building each other up. It is for working redemption in the lives of those around us. Because we all know the destructive power of words in our lives, both because we've been participants in that, we've been both victims and victimizers. And God has given us, when he gave us mouths, a great privilege to bring healing and redemption in the lives of the people around us. Proverbs twelve eighteen, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Your tongue has the capacity to bring healing into people's lives. You should go to his international. You should go on a missions trip. You should go to HeartWorks. You should work at a soup kitchen. But you don't have to go to all those things to bring healing into this world. Simply your language is your greatest capacity to bring healing into the lives of people around you. Your tongue is the most incredible gift God's given you. You can... You can conquer brokenness in this world. You can bring light. You can bring truth. You can bring healing with, the, with your tongue. If we just begin to consider the way we speak. It's about what we say. It's about how we say it, when we say it, and why we say it. And here's one piece of practical advice before we move to the next point. is um, 
Proverbs is also pretty clear too. If you're not sure, don't say anything. If you're taking to heart what it means to look like, what it means to speak wisely, to be truthful, to be loving, um, to be mindful of when you say things, and also to try to figure out what it means to actually want people to be built up by your language and that be the goal. If you begin to work that out, you're going to run into a lot of gray areas. There are just times when you, do I bring the truth here? I don't know. I don't know where they are. You know, is this the right tone for them? I don't know. You're going to run into a lot of gray. Proverbs 17, 27, and 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. If you're not sure, just don't say anything. So where do our words come from? We see what they're supposed to look like, but then we have to ask the question of why is it that we do speak the way that we do. In Proverbs 10.20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. Proverbs 15.7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of the fools. What the writer is telling us is this, what you say is who you are. Because in those two verses, there's a parallelism at work. In the first part of both of those phrases, Proverbs 10.20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. Proverbs 15.7, the lips of the wise spread knowledge. He's talking about their speaking. But then in the latter half of that phrase, he doesn't say, but the tongue of the wicked is of little value. He says this, but the heart of the wicked is little value. He doesn't say the lips of the wise spread knowledge, but not so the lips of the fools. He says, but not so the hearts of the fools. He's telling us something huge right here. Your heart and your lips go together. What you say is what's in your heart. It is who you are. They're interchangeable. And what that means is, and this is the big point, our speech problem is a heart problem. This is what we all want to do. We all want to staple some goodness onto ourselves, right? We want some instructions of how to act better. Like, okay, I got to tell the truth. I got to tell the truth. Got to tell the truth. I'm going to staple that into my life and start telling the truth tomorrow. And that doesn't happen. It can happen, or at least have the appearance of happening. But we don't change, and that's a betrayal of Scripture because Scripture is actually saying your speech problem is a heart problem. And so the way you actually really deal with your speech, besides just faking it, is actually to deal with your heart. See, when we lie, when we don't tell the truth, it's not simply because we're being pragmatic. Why do we lie? When you lie to your, right, your pious religious roommate who might judge you for what you did last night, maybe right, so, maybe not. Why do you lie? Because you're afraid of the opinion they'll develop of you. And so, when it comes between choosing the truth and maybe your reputation going down in their mind, and maintaining your reputation, but not telling the truth, we're like, we'll ditch the truth for that. When we lie, it's because our heart cares about something more than the truth. You want to maintain your reputation, then you have to lie about the pornography you've looked at, right? When you want to maintain your reputation, you have to lie about the things that you've done. So when it comes down to reputation or truth, truth loses. 
Do you see lying is a heart issue? It's about what your heart cares about. I care about my reputation more than I care about the truth. Right? I care about my body more than I care about the truth. People are trying to be mindful about the way you're eating and what you've decided is. When it comes to either forcing my body into this shape or telling the truth about what's going on in my life, the truth loses. Because I care more about this. Do you see that your lie is a heart issue? It's about an idol over here that you've said, I will protect that idol at all costs. And if I have to choose between the truth and that idol, I'll lie about it. What you say is a heart issue. Academic standing. I have to maintain my academic standing. I have to maintain my hopeful projection for the wealth that I'm going to accumulate, the money I'm going to accumulate, the success I'm going to accumulate. And if it comes between that and choosing the truth, I choose this. It's a heart issue. What you choose to say is determined by what you worship. And when you say the truth's not going to be a part of it, it's because you've said, because this means more. And I'll abandon the truth for this, because your heart's attached to this. Our words are a heart issue. When we exaggerate about ourselves, allow people to think of ourselves in a positive light, we're simply trying to gain significance, right? It's actually out of insecurity. When we gossip, when we destroy the reputation of of a friend who's secretly your enemy because of jealousy, we're destroying the reputation in a backhanded way to pay them back for our feelings being hurt. We care more about executing justice than we care about being loving. Right? When we rage... Our rage is out of a sense that the world should accommodate itself to my expectations. Anger, not the wrong kind of anger, rage, is, it's just selfishness pure and undefiled. That's what it is. The world should be the way I want it. So that's where my angry words come from. Because my heart is attached to my vision of the world revolving around me. Rage is just it's narcissism unleashed in its purest form. The world should be like I, the way I want it. You see that all the ways we react and speak into the world are heart issues. And this is what it means. This is the third point. That means to actually really change the way you speak. Something has to change in your heart. You can't simply decide tomorrow, go ahead and try I'm going to be a truth teller. You can staple some fruit for a while. You can modify your lifestyle for a little while on the outside. And you'll even fool some people. But to actually change the way you speak, your heart has to change. There's a guy named Bebo who he actually is one of the two founders of RUF. He started at Southern Miss. And at campus minister training, he talks to us, and one of the things he says over and over and over and over and over again is he says this, the heart is the main thing. It's just that simple. And he actually says it this way as well. The heart is the main thing in religion. The heart is everything. The heart is everything. Christianity is not this. This is what we all want it to be because this is much more manageable. Christianity is not you grew up around churchy stuff, doing churchy things, and you pray to Jesus for A's and a boyfriend and girlfriend. That's not what it means to be a Christian. That's not what Jesus is after. He is not pleased with that. Jesus is after your heart. And by heart, it doesn't simply mean your feelings. When the Bible uses the word heart, it means all of you. You're thinking, you're feeling, you're acting, and everything. Jesus is after all of you. He is after your love. 
the Christian is not marked by someone who does churchy things, though you will end up doing those things because you'll love worshiping him. But that's not the mark of a Christian. The mark of the Christian is someone who loves Jesus and loves his people. The mark of the Christian is someone whose heart is enamored with Jesus. That's what it means. But this is the problem. We can't heal our hearts because we've all tried. And that's why we've come up with these lame ways of defining what it means to be a Christian. I do churchy things and I pray to Jesus for A's and a boyfriend or a girlfriend and so I'm a Christian. It's because that's so much more manageable because we're working so hard to heal our hearts and we can't, so we create this lesser, more attainable definition of what it means to be a Christian so we can rest in that because over and over and over again we've tried to heal our hearts and we can't. This is the good news. Jesus can heal your heart. Early on in getting to know Ryan Reich, he coined, invented a new verb that I've loved ever since then. Um, he told me about his story of coming to faith. And he's, at, at that moment where he came to faith, he goes, that's when Jesus Ezekiel 36'd me. Do you remember this? We still talk about it. It was beautiful. So Ezekiel 36, to Ezekiel 36 is to have a heart change. That's what, if you're curious about the verb form of that. And this is what Ezekiel 36 says. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, and I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Do you see that the solution to our speech problem is Jesus? He's the one that can heal our hearts. Ryan, before that, I can say this. He loved himself, but Jesus gave him a heart of flesh, and he saw that Jesus was lovely. For our words to change, we have to gr- for us to grow into a person that tells the truth, with love, that learns when to speak, and speaks to build each other up, we have to fall in love with the person who leads our heart into a desire to love and be full of truth. And this is the chorus line of the whole semester. This is what, what we've been saying all along. And, and the book of Proverbs starts with it. Wisdom comes by relationship. This is what we're saying tonight. Wise speaking comes by relationship. It is a relational enterprise. It's not by your works and it's not by your churchiness. It's not by your devotionals or your good stuff that your relationship with God is sealed and secured. You don't become clean. And the new words that God speaks to you that are good and powerful words that he speaks to you, brothers and sisters, if you're in Jesus, the word clean, the word accepted, the word adopted, righteous, holy, pure, these are all words beautiful that God says to you. They're not spoken over you on the basis of your good works. They're spoken over you on the basis of Jesus' loving sacrifice for you. Your good stuff does not set you apart. Your good stuff does not set you apart. His good stuff is what saves you, is what sets you apart. In 1 Peter 2, 22-24, speaking of Jesus, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. His mouth was clean. When He was reviled, He didn't revile in return. He didn't blow up in anger. When He suffered, He didn't threaten but he continued just trusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It is by his wounds your heart is healed. So this is the application. This is how wise speaking comes in your life. 
It's coming to Jesus. Coming to Jesus with the heart that frustrates you and the words that frustrate you because you know their inadequacy. And bringing all of your obsessions and your insecurities and your fears to Jesus and just saying, Jesus, soften my heart. I need a new me. Because this one and this story that I'm telling with this heart is killing me. All the insecurities and all the fears and the obsessions. This is all that Jesus requires of you. Just that you despair, despair of the heart that you have. That's all that he requires. And that's actually restful because it's restful to finally despair. And by despair, I mean just like forget the notion of trying to make yourself acceptable. Forget the notion that you have the capacity within your heart to make yourself acceptable. There's rest to just finally say, like, I can't do it. And you can come to Jesus and see that his love is of such a powerful nature that it actually will change your heart. Let's pray.